Take your Bibles out this morning and turn with me back to the Sermon on the Mount as we continue our journey uh, through this uh, portion of Scripture, the best-known sermon in the world, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And looking this morning at the concluding passage in chapter 6, Faith in Uncertain Days. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lord, we thank you for the invitation that we have in this passage to place our faith and trust in you. Lord, forgive us that we get so wrapped up in the things of the world. We pull so many things into our laps. And then we worry about those things. We fret. We lay awake at night. Lord, forgive us. Help us to live more single-minded lives focused upon your kingdom and trusting you to take care of us. Lord, I pray that you would speak peace to somebody here today and comfort and assurance from these words of the Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. The Mayan Indians of Guatemala have an interesting custom even down to the current day. They make brightly colored dolls, each doll only a half inch to an inch tall, and they put six to eight of these dolls in a small wooden box or a cloth pouch. The dolls are known as worry dolls. Now, according to their legend, the dolls are intended to take away the worries of children. If a child cannot sleep at night because of fretfulness or fear or worry, the parent gets the box of dolls out. Since each box holds six to eight dolls, the child can have six to eight fears or worries per day. The child is to tell each of the dolls a worry that he or she has and then the parent places the doll underneath the child's pillow. 
the child is taught to believe that he can go ahead and go to sleep and that while he sleeps, the doll will work on the worry and get the problem solved. During the night, the parent comes into the room, takes the doll out from underneath the pillow, reinforcing the belief in the child when he awakens that the worry is now gone. Now, folks, while that might be an interesting legend or an interesting practice, I think we would all agree that Jesus has a better solution to our worries and fears. And that's what he's talking about in these verses we've read today. You know, people are more uncertain about things right now than I think I've ever seen in my entire lifetime. We need to be praying about our our nation, we need to be praying for our leaders, we need to be praying for the world scene, and, and we need to be sure that our faith and our trust and our dependency is in God. This is a time for people of faith to be an example and an encouragement to those around us who don't know the Lord. God is allowing everything around us for a reason. I think of what God said to Job in the book of Job. Later on, those final chapters of the book of Job, beginning about chapter 38 and following, God never gives Job a direct answer to all of his questions. But instead, God says, Job, tell me, were you around when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I created all the stars and the constellations in the heavens above? Were you there when I told the seas you can come this far upon the land and no further? Were you there when I created all the creatures of the deep and all the beasts of the field? Now obviously God is pointing out to Job the fact of his providence, God's providence over everything that happens in the world. God is providential over his people. God is not worried. God is not wringing his hands. God is not telling his troubles and worries to little colored dogs. Jesus' answer to the worries of mankind is that the believer needs to understand the providence of God and how God provides for all of his creation. And man needs to understand his place within that creation. The fact that man was created in the image of God to have dominion over the creation. Man was the crowning element in God's created order. And so if God looks after all the lesser things, surely he will look after his own children who were made in his image. Therefore, instead of telling our fears and troubles and worries to a little lifeless doll, we can rest all of our worries upon the sovereign God of the universe who is our heavenly Father. Now obviously Jesus is warning us here against worry. This whole section of scripture is really related to the fact of having the right focus on life. We really almost need to go back to verse 19 where Jesus said we're not to lay up our treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but we need to lay up our treasures in heaven. You see, if we're doing that and we're trusting in God, we don't need to worry about all the daily necessities of life. 
If you're God's child, you're God's responsibility. And God's able to take care of His own. Now for that reason, I want you to notice first of all with me this morning that worry is forbidden. Verse 25, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body, more than clothing. We are commanded here to stop worrying. The, the tense is to stop doing something that they were already doing. Some of your translations say, take no thought. And what that phrase means is, is don't worry. Worry is a universal malady that is no respecter of persons. Even people who have no reason to worry about anything worry nonetheless. A husband chided his wife one time for worrying about everything. She responded by saying, well, darling, it must work. You've got to admit, 90% of everything I worry about never happens. A man who suffered from an ulcer went to see his doctor. He told his doctor, Doctor, I'm worried about the fact that worrying about my ulcer might make it worse. Worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind. And if encouraged, it cuts a wide channel that drains everything else away. I heard about a fellow one time who worried so much that all the hair of his toupee fell out. We're worry warts. People worry about their finances. Some of you have learned the hard way that if your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep is going to be your downfall. Others are worried about food. There are people today who are worried where their next meal is going to come from, and there are plenty of us that probably could do without a few of those meals. Others worry about their fitness. They go to a gym and work out three to five times a week to keep up their bodies, but then they have trouble going to church one time a week to look after their soul. Oswald Chambers said one time that worry is nothing more than calculating without God in the equation. I like that. Worry is nothing more than calculating without God in the equation. Now the translation, take no thought, of some of the, the older translations doesn't communicate properly to modern ears perhaps. Jesus isn't saying don't give any thought to your life because he's going to give them the illustration of birds which as some observers have noted are very hard workers. Jesus isn't saying, hey, just sit back, take no thought about anything, just, just kind of wait on everything to fall down the chimney. That's not what he's talking about. The better translation is don't worry. Don't be anxious about your life. And Jesus gives it three times in verse 25, in verse 31, and verse 34. The point of the redundancy is for emphasis. Jesus says, for this reason, that refers back to the previous verses. For what reason? Because you can't serve God and mammon. Jesus is saying, choose God and you won't have to be worried about mammon. You know, we have to use money, but we're not to serve money. We're to serve God. 
Many people want to serve money and use God. They get it backwards. We're to serve God and be content with such that we have. Folks, Jesus is telling us not to let the material possessions of our life, the day in and day out, uh, the daily grind, the things that we worry about, Jesus is saying those things are not to dictate your life or my life. Your life is more than that. The Bible says this world and everything in this world is going to pass away one day. All of this stuff that we worry about constantly is going to perish. That new house is going to perish. That new car is going to perish. All, if all of this stuff is our God and it perishes, then we perish along with it. And that would be a very poor foundation to your life. And so here's the command. Stop worrying. It's a very interesting word. It's a word that means stop being pulled to pieces. Stop being pulled in all directions. Stop being distracted. It's the same word that is used in that story of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10 when Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus, but Martha was distracted about many things. Same word. For being anxious here, being, being distracted, being pulled in all different directions. The German word that our English word is based on refers to being choked or strangled. And that's what anxiety does. It strangles, it chokes all of the life out of you. At least all of the joy out of your life. Some of you today are worried about so many things. There's just no joy in your life anymore. The joy of the Lord is gone. From the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night, you're wringing your hands about this, you're wringing your hands about that, you're worried about this and worried about that. And as that lady in that illustration and her husband pointed out, most of the things, 90% of the things we worry about never even transpire. What's Jesus saying here that we worry about so much? We tend to worry about the material, the things we eat, the things we drink, and the things we clothe our bodies with. Charles Spurgeon said, these three things are the world's holy trinity. Jesus is saying, stop it. Look at your life and look at what you're doing and look at the sinfulness of it. If you are a child of God, look at the sinfulness of it. You see, you and I wear worry like a badge of honor, but it's not a badge of honor. It's sin. We, somebody comes to church and says, you know what I'm worried about? I've laid awake all night long worrying about such and such. And we say, bless your heart. Boy, that's a badge of honor. You've been worrying about that. It's not a badge of honor. Jesus says it's sin. So stop it, he says. Worry is forbidden. Not only is it forbidden, but secondly, I want you to see that it is foolish. Beginning there in the second part of verse 25. He says, Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Life is more than the possessions that we worry about. It's an argument of the how much more. 
an a fortiori argument uh, that philosophers talk about. How much more is your life than all this stuff that you're worried about? Life is so much more than that new house that you might be worried about or that carpet that has a stain on it. You see, we have a God who created us and He made us for fellowship with Him. There's something sad and tragic about a person worrying about some little temporary treasure in his life that's going to pass away one day anyway when instead you are created for fellowship with the sovereign, eternal God of this universe. And so we're to live for Him. We're to serve Him. We're to glorify Him. That is the essence of human existence. It was Jim Elliott, the great missionary who gave his life for the cause of Christ, said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now Jesus is not saying there's nothing in this world that matters. That's not what he's saying. Because the Bible calls on us to be good stewards. He's not saying there's just nothing around us that doesn't matter at all. He's simply saying the things of this world cannot be the driving focus of your life. If they're the driving focus of your life, you're in for tough times because you're always going to worry and fret over them. Life is more. He moves on here to talk about your value to God. There in verse 26, worry is foolish because you're valuable to God. Some people think probably as Jesus was teaching there on the Sermon on the Mount, maybe some birds were flying overhead. And they landed and there they are pecking around in the grass in the field. And Jesus is saying, look at those birds. He said on one occasion, I tell you not one of those birds falls into the bosom of the earth, yet your heavenly Father doesn't take notice of that bird. You're more valuable than the birds. Same thing with the lilies of the valley. The lilies, the the day flowers that would grow up in that Mediterranean uh, desert climate. They would would, uh, blossom in the morning. They would be so beautiful out on the hillside. By, By that evening they were scorched. They were dead by the hot afternoon sun. And so the women would gather up those dead flowers and they had these stone ovens that they baked their bread in. And so they'd put this these dead flowers underneath the stone and also inside the oven. So they were heating up those stone ovens inside and outside. And and when the, the bricks and all got hot enough, then they would put their bread in and bake it. Jesus said, look at how he's, look at the, the lilies of the valley, how beautiful they are. Look at the birds. Last week at the beach, walking on the beach, noticing all the birds and all the wildlife, I said, to Con- I said isn't it amazing? Isn't it absolutely amazing? If you start talking about all the different animals on the face of the earth, I, I dare say you wouldn't just get into the billions, but you'd get into trillions. All the different animals, from the tiniest little animals, bigger and God isn't it amazing how God takes care of the whole entire animal kingdom it's amazing God feeds them and that's Jesus point and the lilies of the valley Solomon 
the richest king ever, clothed in all of his regal robes and all of his splendor. Jesus said, I tell you, he wasn't arrayed like any of these lilies. And yet they're here today and gone tomorrow. You see what Jesus is talking about there? He's talking about your and my value because, folks, you were created in the image of God. Go back to the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 and and it's like God is getting everything ready. Day 1, day 2, day 3. He's getting everything ready for something special. And then he says, let us create man in our image. Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us create man in our own image, in our likeness. And he created man in his likeness and breathed into him a living soul. He didn't do that for anything else but for mankind. Your value. Man is the crowning achievement. You look at all the the, the creation account, the different things God made, and it's clear that when God created man, man was to be his crowning uh, creation that would have dominion over everything else. And when you and I understand that and understand our value to God and how if God looks after lesser things, then what's he going to do about somebody made in his image? Certainly states that he's going to look after us. We can trust him to do that. I think of King David in Psalm 139 that talked about God had just surrounded him everywhere with his presence and goodness. He said, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to Sheol, you're there. If I go east, go west. Whatever direction I go, God, you're there. You've surrounded me with your presence and love. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together inside my mother's womb. Mankind is special. Jesus told three parables in Luke chapter 15 about lost things and how even one matters to God. Even one is valuable to God. Here's a guy who has a uh, hundred lost sheep gets, in, in the evening gets 99 of them safe and secure in the fold at night. He counts them out. He's missing one. He leaves the 99. He goes in search for the one. When he finds it, he comes back rejoicing. The woman had ten coins, one of them missing, lights a lamp, moves all her furniture, sweeps around in her house uh, until she finds that coin, calls all of her friends and throws a party. A man has two sons. One of them's a prodigal, goes into the far country. He comes home and the, and the dad rejoices. Something lost, even one that was valuable to God. That's what Jesus is wanting us to understand here, our value to God. So Jesus is saying, stop all of your worrying. If he looks after the animals, if he looks after the plants, if he provides them with life and what all is needed for their life, surely he'll do that for you. A third reason worry is foolish is because it accomplishes nothing. Verse 27 says, And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Various Bible translations reveal what a challenge that verse is for for translators, for scholars. You see, the Greek word used refers more properly, more literally to a span in the sense 
of a literal measurement of something, an inch, a foot, a yard, a cubit. That's what the word refers to. And so some of the translations pick up on that and talk about a person adding a cubit to their height, which would be 18 inches. Can you imagine somebody being able to add 18 inches to their height? I guess some of the basketball players in the NBA would love to be able to do that, or Darren Nixon would love to be able to do that. But can you do that by worrying? No. Probably nobody thinks of adding to their height by worrying, so it's not the best way to translate it. The other way of looking at it fits the whole context better. Uh, The other way uh, of looking at the verse means adding length to the longevity of your life. Can you do that by worrying? No. In fact, you'll probably shorten your life. Dr. Charles Mayo of the Mayo Clinic said worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. He went on to say, I've never known a man who died from overwork, but many who died from worry. If you're reading a translation that says who can add a span or a cubic to the length of your life, that actually picks up the thought best from both angles. The actual measurement, but it applies the analogy to the length, uh, the measurement of your lifespan. You know, one thing I'm having to learn in life, and it's hard to realize, it's hard to learn this lesson that it, Whatever I'm worried about, if I can do something about it, then just do something about it, and then you don't have to worry about it. But if you can't do anything about it, then why worry about it? You can't can't change it anyway. That's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? It really is. Then lastly, Jesus talks about the foolishness of it being expressed because it it, it expresses unbelief. He says there in in verse 30 and following, he he says, uh, well, let's look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Gentiles. Now, folks, Gentiles, are, that word is used in the New Testament in two different ways, a neutral way and a negative way. A neutral way would just be anybody who is not a Jew is a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. I only know of one Jew that we have in the church. The rest of us, as far as I know, are Gentiles. It's not used in a negative manner, just a fact of life. But then sometimes in the Scripture, Gentiles is used in a negative light because the Gentiles of ancient times were pagans who served pagan gods and idols. Sometimes they even believed that those false gods that they served were out to get them. And they believed everything rested on their shoulders. Jesus is saying, that's that's not who you are. That's not who God's made you to be. That's not who you are as my child. You're not like those pagans. You're not like those unbelievers. Folks, if you don't have a biblical worldview, chances are you're going to worry about everything in the world. 
But if you have a biblical worldview and an understanding of salvation in the Christian life, then that frees you up from worry. I think of the Apostle Paul. Somebody could have told the Apostle Paul, we're going to take your life because of you preaching the gospel. Paul, I think, would have responded by saying, great, bring it on. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. They'd say, well, with that kind of attitude, we'll just let you live. He'd say, great, fantastic. That's just more time I have to be a missionary for Christ. Folks, you can't defeat somebody like that. That's trust in God, a steadfast trust in God. But if we're always walking around and fretting about every little thing on the face of the planet, what does that say about our faith? Jesus said, that's what the Gentiles do. That's what unbelievers do. I think of that little poem, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. But then there's the big thing Jesus talks about here too. Worry robs us of focus. Look at verse 33. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Folks, this is the main tragedy of worry right here. Worry robs you and me of what we're really supposed to be zeroed in on. Verse 33 says, seek and keep on seeking. Seek and keep on seeking first of the highest importance in your life, of the highest priority in your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. We know the kingdom of God is going to be complete on this earth one day. But for now it's not. We live on a fallen planet. The rule of God, though, is to be over everything about you. Jesus Christ isn't simply to be your Savior. He's to be your Lord, ruling over everything in your life. And so daily we ought to be asking, Lord, show me today where I've not given you complete lordship in my life. We're to seek first the kingdom of God. How in the world can I do that? Being about the great commission, being about God's business, making sure my life every day is wrapped up in God's agenda. That's the only agenda that's going to last and mean anything ultimately. Seek first God's righteousness. What's His righteousness? That's His holiness and His purity and His love and grace and what He's about in the world. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what I'm to be about. And if I'm about that, then there's a promise here. He's promising that everything I need in my life is going to be taken care of. I want you to consider a moment about the practicality and the power of what Jesus is saying. I wonder how many of you right now are not doing, you're not doing what God has called you to do because you are worried about how you would make a living. I can't tell you the number of men over my 25 years in the ministry have sat in my office almost in tears 
because they believed years ago God was calling them to the mission field or God was calling them into the ministry, but they refused to leave a career because they were uncertain about how they would support their family. And so they've gone on to express how they feel trapped by the world and the things of the world. Now, folks, I'm not trying to diminish concerns of anybody supporting their family because we're to do that. That's not my point. My point, rather, is what Jesus is saying here, what his point is. His point is you can trust God that if you are doing what God has called you to do, then God is going to look after your needs. Doesn't mean you won't have to make any adjustments in your life. You might be living in a $600,000 home, driving an $80,000 car. You may have to make some adjustments in your life to follow God's call upon your life and His mission for your life. But guess what? Jesus promises as you and I do that, God's going to look after our needs. We can trust that. And so the question for us now becomes, am I willing to trust God enough to step out and do what I know He's calling me to do? Folks, I want you to hear me on this. Life is too short to be trapped by the material things of this world. Don't get to the end of your life and look back with regret because you didn't do what God was calling you to do because you were so worried about material things in the world. What a tragic way to live. It was a game that I suppose will be written about until the end of time. The 1929 Rose Bowl game, and it was also for a national championship. Georgia Tech and the University of California at Berkeley were playing. California had the ball on Georgia Tech's 33-yard line. They looked like they were about to score. The quarterback dropped back for a handoff. There was a fumble. Bodies started flying everywhere going after the loose ball. The big center, Roy Regal for the University of California, picked up the ball and he was knocked this way and knocked that way and spun this way and spun that way. You can still go online and watch about 29 seconds of footing, footage of that actual play. It's hilarious. He's knocked every which away and spun around, and finally he turns and he sees daylight, and he takes off running. Georgia Tech players started blocking for him. The Georgia Tech coach told his players on the sideline to sit down and shut up as loud as they were cheering for Roy Regal of the other team and might get Roy Regal's attention. He'd realize what he was doing. So the coach said, sit down, shut up. Georgia Tech players are blocking. Roy's own players for California are trying to chase him down and tackle him. Finally, the quarterback for California tackles him on the one-yard line. And Roy Regal gets up and they talk to him and he discovers what he's done. He's run the wrong direction. 
his coach said the tragedy about that. He said, Roy Regal's probably the sharpest player I've ever had the privilege of coaching. He said, what he did, I guess, could happen to anybody. He became known as Wrong Way Roy. Because of that play, California dropped back in the end zone to punt the ball. The punt was blocked. Georgia Tech got a safety. Georgia Tech ended up winning by one point due to Roy Regal's wrong way run. He had to live with that for the rest of his life until he died in 1993. Wrong way, Roy. But what a tragedy for you and me to get to the end of our lives. And God, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and He say, wrong way, Scott. Wrong way, Kevin. Wrong way, Brad. Wrong way, Betty. Wrong way, Bill. Wrong way. That you ran your life, the race of your life, in the wrong direction. That's the greater tragedy. There's one thing that the Christian has to worry about in his life. If we were to worry about anything, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And as we do so, the confidence, the faith, the trust, even in uncertain times, that God is going to supply everything that we need. I wonder if there are some of you this morning that would need to admit, I'm running the wrong direction with my life. I relate to that statement of being trapped. I'm trapped by the things of the world. You know, in this service, with more young people in this service, I think I'd like to say it goes all the way back to verse 19. If even early on we start laying up our treasure where our treasure is supposed to be laid up, then we don't have to go through life worrying about everything. What are you doing with your life? Are you wasting your life? Are there some of you perhaps there in your pew this morning or at the altar, there needs to be some repentance in your life? repentance over things in the world that have you trapped things in the world that are the reason why you are not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness deal with those things would you stand please father I pray for that one this morning I pray for that one this morning who as we read this text, it has their name and address on it. It's where they're living. It's what they're experiencing. They're worrying about this and worrying about that and worrying about this. Worrying about all sorts of stuff. Stuff that won't even last. Lord, help us to have the right priorities and the right focus. I pray for that one this morning who maybe has never come to faith in Jesus. They're living for this world and the things of this world. And if they keep doing that, then they're going to go out into eternity without Christ. 
Lord, convict them of their sin and need of a Savior and draw them to faith in Christ. For Christians who need to be more freed up to do your will, God, I pray that you would deal with hearts and minds right now. Adjustments or changes that we need to make in our lives so we can seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, give us strength and courage to deal with these matters. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.